everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Caps podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And today, you know, this isn't the most jam-packed episode we'd had. That would probably be the last week, but we still got a little bit of stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about men's casketball, both in players leaving, in quotes, Eric leaving. We'll talk about it. And then a little bit of cats ball recruiting news, golf, the back cats, and then the wacky segment of the week. And you may be asking yourselves, uh, why is this episode coming out on Thursday? Well, because we won't be recording tomorrow, Thursday, because we will be at the NFL draft. Because there is like a 5% chance that it ever comes back to Kansas City in our lifetime. So we're going. Yeah, got to do it now because, like you said, the chances are probably not going to remain. So Yeah. So that's where we'll be. That's why everyone's getting an episode a day early. So let's just dive straight into the men's basketball and who's leaving. Let's talk about Keontae Johnson, who waited until the very last day to declare for the NBA draft. But here's the the last sentence is sort of everyone everyone expected him to declare for the NBA draft. Everyone is really caught up on the last sentence of that announcement where it says he will be maintaining his college eligibility. Now, that is certainly a not insignificant part of that message because it does sort of crease the door open for him to return. That being said, would I expect him to return? Personally, no, because I think he's probably going to get drafted and I think people are going to tell him that he will be drafted and he deserves to be. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I will admit I was going around and saying uh, prior uh, to the announcement that I thought there was a an actual 0% chance of... I said it as a joke last week. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I pretty much thought there was a 0% chance that he would uh, be returning. So um, this raises that to like, somewhere between five and 10%, I think, but I I still don't think that he'll be returning. Unfortunately. I mean, we are at the point where it is a possibility to entertain, um, but I'm still not ready to like really write it in or even seriously consider it. I'm still operating under the assumption that uh, that he's not coming back. But if that does change, then that changes everything about next season, I think. Because not only we're going to have a lot of other guys returning, like in terms of role players, but then, of course, we'd have, you know, our one of our proven stars coming back that we did not expect. Um, and it would also kind of explain par- part of the uh, portal approach mm-hmm. uh, this offseason as well. But um, yeah, don't, neither of us expect him to come back still. I imagine that he'll, go in the second round because he's like 23 24 he's not getting younger the nba you pretty much need to be like under 20 to be drafted um highly um to be drafted in the first round so that's just not something that i think that is realistic for keontae johnson at this point which is unfortunate but um he may get like a mid to low second round second round grade, which I think might even be likely at this point. And if and when that happens, um, then we may see a, a reality where he doesn't want to chance it with like a non-guaranteed roster spot uh, from the second round deal and just come back and get an, an IL deal. And then, give it another shot the next year because I'm sure he's being taken care of that in that department. <laughs> um so I don't know. I guess it just kind of becomes a cost benefit thing for him. Like like what's the better choice? But it's more competitive than I thought it would be. While I still don't think it's competitive to the degree that we think it is, because I do think there's a few factors that could play in him coming back. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm still not gonna get my hopes up about it. Uh, it's just way too early for that. Yeah. I, I would encourage people to to not have the expectation that he would be back. 
but I would certainly celebrate if he did come back. There's also another person who declared for the draft, but did so very quietly. And everyone is saying, even on public channels, that he will be returning, and that's Naquan Tomlin. So that's why on the outline, I don't know why I'm telling the people listening to this, because they don't see the outline, but that's why I didn't put Naquan on there, because Naquan's... It's sort of the anti-KJ scenario where I think there's a 95 to 100% chance Naquan will be back. Yeah, I I don't anticipate Naquan Tomlin staying in the draft. Um, different reasons for Keontae. I think it's pretty likely that the NBA looks at him and says something along the lines of, like, we think you're a really good player, but you need more refinement. You need to... Uh, spend a little bit more time in college because he's not played organized basketball for very long. So I, I do think it'd be a little bit early for him to hit the NBA. He'd probably have to spend a, a bit more time in the G league and he may have to do that anyways. So I'd imagine he'll get advice to um, go back to school. And I think that truly is the best choice for him. I mean, Keontae Johnson's much more up in the air on if that's the best choice for him, but or uh uh, for Naquan, it's a, I think it's definitely the best choice for him to uh, uh, come back to school and develop a bit more. He's still a little bit older than I think people realize. Like I think he's like in, into his early twenties a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I do expect to see him back, which is great because I think that with some additional offseason work and building on what we saw from him this last year, I think that he could really have a fantastic year next year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, One other person that is leaving that we unfortunately just straight up forgot to cover in all of our excitement last week, which really, can you blame us given everything that we had to be excited about last week? That is uh, Anthony Thomas. He ended up transferring out. And this is another time where I feel like this might have been a mutual thing because even, and this is no disrespect to Anthony Thomas, even when we picked him up, Connor, you and I, I think even on the episode, we were like, okay, what, what does he do? Where does he play? What, what is, what is, what is his role on this team? And I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Um, I do think he would have been a really interesting piece as a wing player, but he was very, very raw when we got him. Cause he's a, very he's very tall very long arms for a guy on the wing that is kind of similar to Wes Awundu probably not as athletic as Wes Awundu um but he uh was definitely an intriguing player but I do think that this was something where both sides probably realized that it was for the best um because I I do think that he probably would have struggled to find time on the court next year but it wasn't a foregone conclusion i guess i was interested in seeing what he could do but they um ultimately decide to go a different direction and that's okay not the not the biggest deal in the world but i don't know i will uh wish him the best not sure where he's headed i haven't really followed where he's been getting offers or anything like that but ish is going to what is it george washington yeah. Is he committed there or I know he was he, going uh, on a visit. That's right. Yeah, he um I know he went on a visit there. I think he might have been visiting like New Mexico or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what. But he he's seen a few different places. So um best of luck to those guys. Yeah, obviously. Like, we we always wish people the people the best. Uh, he is, he visited both New Mexico, Fordham and George Washington. Gotcha. So obviously wish the best for anyone who walks through K-State unless they leave on bad terms. But, you know, we very rarely hear about that. The one time we heard about it was kind of very funny. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, but the next little bit is just a touch on recruiting, and that is Tyler Perry. He just visited K-State. It seems to have gone pretty well. You know, it, he's logged predictions to come to K-State. Uh, he did put out a bunch of pictures today with using, you know, hashtag EMOP, but hashtag not committed as well. That 
a lot of people are really reading into a lot of very paranoid people, I might add, are reading into the the whole not committed thing. I don't care. <laughs> That's a very normal thing for uh, recruits to post with yeah. their pictures, especially uh, transfers, um, just because their recruitment is happening so rapidly and things can change on a dime. So a lot of times you see transfers and then also high school players as well. Uh, just use not committed because they don't want to have people misinterpret uh, the pictures they're posting, um, which I normally don't have much of an issue with, um, at least myself, just because and nowadays people are normally using uh, graphics for commitments as opposed to uh, just the collection of pictures. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not too worried about the not committed thing. I wasn't aware that there was a lot of strife about that. Um, but it, It's the message gourds. Oh. Well, I guess I should have seen that coming, but it, and yeah. everyone who knows the message boards knows exactly which message board we're talking about. Yeah, God, I oh, hope well. no one ever finds us yeah. on that board. I hope. <laughs> I, I'm feeling pretty good about Tyler Perry. Um, a, a lot of people, um, online, uh, especially even on like Twitter and stuff, seem to be very confident that K State's getting Tyler Perry. Um, I guess we will wait for that to become official, um, before we really talk about it. But I do think K-State sits in a really good spot just because there seems to be so much momentum, um, in the public space, um, regarding getting Tyler Perry. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic as things stand regarding that. And I know that you are too. Um, but it's, it's really nice that we just got him and on a visit uh, that's a big commit if we can get him. Uh, but we'll, we'll see because uh, we've seen the transfer portal do very strange things in the past, uh, like the Antoine Davis saga last year. Yeah. All, from, yeah, all for him to come up, uh, I think, three points shy of the all-time scoring record. Because he didn't get invited to like the, the NIT NIT. Yeah. Like, the the even a, worse NIT. Yeah. Is it like the Tournament and Champions or something? I think it's the uh, the uh, the CBI CBI yeah the college basketball invitational, uh, which pretty much every team that competes in that's like a below five hundred like mid major. Um, so I'm pretty sure you have to actually pay to do it as well, um, at least a little bit. I think you make your I think you get some money back if you win. But... Use the global money. <laughs> I that's true. He could use the global money. That wasn't. I think we probably dodged a bullet there, but. <laughs> Yeah, that was a strange saga. So that just goes to show how quickly the transfer portal can change. But things seem to be going well. Tyler Perry um, from the outside looking in. Uh, of course, we're still waiting on decisions from him and Max Acemas. Um it Seems like people are saying that one decision won't really affect the other. Mm-hmm. At least in terms of if we get one, that doesn't mean the other is going to go somewhere else. It seems to be an indication that there, there seems to be the the idea that we can get both. Yeah. So that is the basketball news. Now we can talk a little bit about golf, just touching on it a little bit because big 12 play just happened. Uh, the women's team got ninth out of nine. So unfortunately finishing in last place, uh, men ended up getting seventh and that's mostly because they had a terrible first two rounds of play. So I, it's a little bit of a disappointing finish for both. Honestly, I'd say it's more disappointing for the men's team though, because of all the momentum they had built up throughout the season, but you know, whatever. Yeah. They, uh, they still have, um, NCAA regionals, mm-hmm. um, to go. Um, they played a really tough course, uh, in Prairie Dunes. Only one team finished under par and that was Oklahoma. They were minus one. And then, uh, the next best team was TCU and they were plus 17. So like it was a, a rough course from what it seems. Uh, but yeah, K state, they did play better every round. Um, but yeah, they just weren't quite able to get over the hump. In fact, on the, uh, uh, in the last round on the last day of the, uh, the tournament, they had, uh, what looks like the third, um, best round, um, at any team. So, um, they just been able to kind of pull it together a little bit more those first few days, uh, could have maybe finished in the top half, but they do finish ahead of every unranked school 
uh, which I don't know what that means, if anything. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, they they do finish behind every ranked school at the same time. So they bring up the rear of the ranked squads, um, one stroke behind Baylor, um, and I'm pretty far out of that next group. But yeah, a solid season all around for the golf team. Kind of stinks they weren't able to put up a better showing um, since the baseball championship wasn't Hutchinson. Yeah. But maybe they can rebound and put together a really good showing uh, for the uh, regionals. Yeah, maybe so. So now we can talk about the Batcats and the one series we have to talk about, and that is the University of California Irvine series, who came into this series ranked what in the 40s for RPI? So, uh, I think they were 40. Yeah, this was a this was a really important series to win. In case they did end up winning it, they uh, won the series two to one. Couldn't get the sweep on the last game. But the wins were six to three, six to four, and then the loss was one to seven. I don't. Eh. Last game sucked, but we we can start from the top with the first game. Uh, winning pitcher was Owen Borma with the save from Tyson Neighbors, the exceedingly rare uh, three inning nine out save. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this one was you know a more it, it was an interesting game. You know, you, you see six to three and you think, oh, wow, that must have been a really comfortable victory. It really wasn't until the ninth inning. And uh, also, as of recording on April 26th, if you check the weather on each of the UC Irvine box scores, you get um, you get not weather. You verifiably get not weather. So the weather for the first game was uh, there's a volleyball tourney. That is a direct quote. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what they were talking about. Uh, yeah, then we get on the second day. Earth is our favorite planet. Of course, the last one we get Sunday Fun Day. <laughs> that that's almost certainly not what the weather was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I. In terms of, uh, do you want to cover pitching performances or hitting performances? And this for all of them. Um. I, I, what do you want to do? I feel I'll like take I normally pitching. pick. Okay. I'll take pitching. Then I'll do hitting. Splendid. Man. So, first game, yeah, like, like Ace said, it was not a comfortable game. Uh, it was briefly 3 0, but after a couple innings, um, it was tied, uh, until the seventh. Kalen Culpepper hits a solo, uh, Cole Johnson, um, singles, uh, on an infield single. And, uh, then a uh, wild pitch scores another run after that was in the top of the ninth. So that takes us to six, three for the final. Um, yeah, Brendan Jones, he goes three of five, just one strikeout. Um, really solid day for him. Nick Goodwin, two for four, two RBI draws a walk as well, uh, including a two run homer on the third. So really good stuff from Nick. Um, other than that, uh, Kalen Culpepper goes uh, two for three draws a walk uh, and gets hit by a pitch again. <laughs> Please he gets hit up. by a pitch at least twice per series. It feels like it at this point. Cole Johnson also got hit by a pitch in this game. Um, uh, then Rugely and Cole Johnson both left three on base. We left 11 runners on base uh, in this game. I think we left the bases juiced uh, twice on this one. So uh, not the best. Um, Brady Day with a rare 0 for 3. Um, normally he's able to get a hit out, but he does draw a walk um, as his tradition. <laughs> but um, all in all, um, an okay um, hitting day. It was very up and down, um, depending on where you're looking in the lineup. Uh, did really good in that uh, two through five um, area. And then honestly, the guys at the bottom, they got hits when it was needed. Uh, they all went one for three, four, three. Um, and did okay there. They they got hits when we needed them. But, yeah. Uh, 11 total hits on the day, which is pretty solid. Uh, five walks. So nothing absolutely earth-shattering, it feels like, uh, for the Cats on that day, but not bad. Uh, yeah. not, a, not a bad hitting day at all. Yeah. 11 left on base is a bit concerning, though. Also, shout out Brendan Jones for catching a knee to the face on his first yeah. stolen base attempt. 
That's a shame. I can't have anybody. <laughs> I had to pause the game for like maybe 10 minutes to clean him up. Like, like a cut man, like it was boxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in terms of pitching, Owen Boroma goes six, only giving up three runs. It's a quality start for him. Two walks, five strikeouts. That's about it. 96 pitches. He does really well. Uh, Tyson Neighbors came in. Uh, Keith Hughes was not messing around. He was not going to let anyone else touch the ball after Owen Borima, other than Tyson Neighbors, who came in in the seventh, has three clean innings where he hits two people, but then also strikes out seven. <laughs> so seven of his nine outs were strikeouts. And, of course, you have the, the Tyson Neighbors swagger where he, he shushes someone in the crowd who probably said something. But um, So, you know, our, our two best pitchers did their jobs, and they did them remarkably well. Uh, another solid performance from Owen Borma. You know, two walks and six innings. You'd like to see that slightly lower, but that's one of those that you would like to see it, not I need to see it. It's not like the left-on-base numbers where you see higher than, like, seven or eight and you're like okay come on now yeah classic tyson neighbors uh in this in this game i mean seventh save on the year allegedly although there's some dispute there's dispute there if you go to the big 12 i think they have enlisted at like getting was it nine nine or ten saves it was nine i think they counted two games in case State does not yeah which i don't know all right (laughs) <laughs> all right whatever but this is clearly this borma neighbors combo i mean that's our that's this year's jordan and wicks eric torres yeah. although you could argue the uh star the star powers flipped uh in that regard yeah. um neighbors has continued his uh, reign of terror against batters in the uh, latter third of a game um just destroying everyone he faces Borma continues to be very reliable um as a starter we were you and i were not sure what to expect from him yeah he was awesome uh in d3 but it was d3 we weren't really sure how that would translate he's been really good uh especially uh in uh like the last month and a half or so he's been really really good been really happy with him forced 10 ground outs uh in this game like to see a pitcher keep it on the ground I can't really complain too much about that. Uh, and then, yeah, that Borman neighbors combo, that is pretty lethal as a combo for the Batcats um, for uh, getting on the mound. Yeah. Owen Borman strike you out. But that is the <laughs> first game. Uh, second game was a 6-4 to four victory in favor of the Batcats. Blake Corsentino gets credited with the victory. Kyler Haney gets his first save on the year. And this one was a comeback victory, technically, because we started off uh, down two to nothing after the first inning with a, a jack shot to a uh, right center. And then we just sort of clawed back into the game, ended up taking the lead and the fifth inning didn't give it back for the rest of the game. Ra- uh, not Rafael, uh, Roberto Pena ends up hitting a home run to get the insurance run. And yeah, this was a much much better offensive day when it comes to left on base. Yeah. Only six on base. We did leave the bases juiced once, mm-hmm. but that's all, but that's, that's a whole half of the left on base uh, numbers that we had. Um, Rugely did kind of struggle in this series, which was unfortunate. Really just had a few unlucky lineouts, uh, kind of similar to what Nick Goodwin was having uh, earlier this year. Just was not able to put the ball exactly where he wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, Brendan Jones goes one for four um, with a double. Uh, walks once. Nick Goodwin goes one for five. Uh, and he uh, got his double right after Brendan Jones. That was a nice little scoring tandem there. Brady Day goes one for two, scores two runs, draws two walks, gets an RBI. Classic Brady Day stat line. Um, Cole Pepper goes over. Kyle Lotus goes over. Jaden Lobliner goes over. Uh, Dom Hughes gets a sack bun. Yeah, sack bun. And then uh, Roberto Pena, of course, goes two for four, two RBIs. Had that solo homer. Then also, um, had a single to right, uh, rare opposite field hit for him. Uh, so the hitting wasn't super prolific, but it was timely mm-hmm. uh, in this game, uh, which is 
pretty much just as important. Um, didn't get quite as much out of uh, some people as we would have liked, um, but that's fine. We we won the game on the road against a quality RPI squad, mm-hmm. and winning on the road has been so tough for K-State baseball the last uh, several years. years. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we have as many wins on the road as we have a home as things stand right now. We're 13 and five, a home 13 and eight away. That's pretty incredible considering where we were. I get the, I've said, I have said in the past, you know, like four of those wins were against Stephen F. Austin and Stephen F. Austin barely counts as a conscious baseball team, but still <laughs> we've seen that we can lose to baseball teams that aren't conscious like with St. Thomas. So it is truly a quality series win against UC Irvine. That's a, it's more than quality. It's a resume building. Yep. series win and additionally OU that that was a while ago that's kind of getting into the territory of being a, a resume building sweep mm-hmm. um because I didn't realize until uh this series but um OU is actually ahead of us in RPI um we're 65th right now as things stand OU is all the way up at 51 really RPI which they're only 22 and 19. And they're they're all the way up to fifty first in the RPI, so and UC Irvine is still forty fifth in RPI. So that's scraping into a regional, isn't it? Fifty. They take sixty four. If it was purely off, uh, it's not purely off RPI because I still think there's auto bids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But if it was based purely off RPI, as things stand right now, we would be the first team out. And oh, not again. I know, but <laughs> we're not going to go there right now. Um, the uh, but yeah, OU that 51st, they would be hoping and praying that the right teams win and the wrong teams lose. So, the, the 51 is not a spot to be particularly comfortable, especially when your record's not as good, I think. Yeah. But it, 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 it's TBD, it's hard to say. Um, it's not as transparent a process as it is with like men's college basketball because people care about men's college basketball a lot more than they do about college baseball. Yeah. So um, TBD on that, but that gives K-State uh, we're at the point where we have um, a handful of tools in our chest uh, right now in terms of resume building uh, wins. Sweeping OU is impressive. A series win at home against a RPI team with similar rank is good. But I wouldn't say it's like eye popping, but a sweep against them is a little bit more eye catching. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a moment where you really wish that you've been able to hold on against Texas in that first game. Yep. Uh, really wish that you were able to hold on in one of those games against Baylor. Really wish you didn't lose to St. Thomas and uh, wish that you would have been able to get West Virginia in one of those other games. But we also, in, in the past, I think we wouldn't even have these like big resume building road series wins, but now we have UC Irvine on the road and that's massive. So I, I'm pretty happy about that because we have those two wins. So I've talked about the third one, but there's not as much to talk about with the third one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, in terms of pitching in the second game, Herman Fajardo goes five with a hundred pitches. He was getting to a full count, basically every single batter. And it was immensely frustrating because it would be, Strike, strike, non-competitive pitch, non-competitive pitch. They take a borderline strike and then pick the outcome from there. So I can only imagine that Herman was probably just as frustrated as everyone else. He does end up registering five strikeouts in this, in this game. So, you know, he has a strikeout per inning. That's not bad. Um, and then Ty Rule, he, he pitches one and two thirds, gives up three walks, two earned runs. Ty Rule is on a bit of a cold streak recently. It's it's not been a something great. I saw Jerome Tang re- retweet the uh, the Tyler Perry thing, and I misread "not committed" as "committed," and I was like, "Well, we have to <laughs> <laughs> guess we have to make an edit here." But um, yeah, Ty Rule has been he hasn't been he hasn't been tournament Ty Rule from last year, and he's just not been. Uh, Again, I I'm, I'll say it. he's been bad. He's been bad, which is such a shame because beginning of this year, he was pretty solid other than getting left in too long. I don't blame him for that one. 
And last year, Big 12 tournament tie rule just shut everyone up. <laughs> yeah, he's just going through a really rough stretch right now, but he's at a point where he's at a very similar number of innings pitched compared to last year. Um, hit numbers are almost identical. He's only pitched two and a third fewer as of right now, as he did last year. Um, he has one more hit allowed this year, one more run allowed last year, but this year he has four fewer earned runs. Uh, walks are a little down. Strikeouts are also a little down. Um, hitters are hitting better against him. Um, uh, ERA is about um, five-tenths lower um, as it was from last year, but fewer wins, one more loss. Uh, very unusual, weird season, I guess, for, for Ty Rule. He's had some really nice games, um, like going three innings against OU and a victory. That's a really nice hit, uh, day for him. Um, four strikeouts and in five innings against even F Austin. That's really big. Um, but um, recently, I mean, five runs at KU, two runs against UC Irvine with three walks, uh, two runs um, earned and two walks against Texas uh, and a loss and just one inning. Uh, been a very up and down season for Ty Rule. Um, but, you know, it's it's never say never with Ty. He's definitely been a little bit frustrating as of late. Yeah. Um, but he he could Who still figure it out. Bullpen? Hmm. Who hasn't been frustrating in the bullpen? Um, Other than he, neighbors, he, Haney? Haney kind of he's had his moments of frustration but for the most part he's been the second best arm other than neighbors and neighbors hasn't really been frustrating at all this year um but Ty Rule hasn't quite taken the step I think that we were hoping that he would um at least not yet he's statistically marginally better um but fairly equal to uh to last year uh, I think that we were really hoping to see truly dominant Ty Rule um, this year, but just hasn't gotten to that point yet. And maybe it will next year um, because he definitely has the tools for it. He has a delivery for it. Just something's off about the location right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's things are, he's throwing good pitches that get hit. And if it was one, it was a one-off thing, then I, like, it's okay. That happens. It's pitches have bad nights, But it does keep happening. So, Something's up, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but um, he hasn't quite had the year that we were hoping, but he's still not a lost cause whatsoever. You know, no. this is just kind of us being frustrated and like voicing it, I guess. I don't know. I, I still I still like him. I, I think that he still has the potential to really finish the season strong because there's still a month of uh, regular season um, left at this point, plus yep. Big 12 tournament. And we know that everybody gets a stat boost down in down in Arlington yeah. uh, for K State baseball, and they also have a ton to play for right now because uh, this is probably our best shot at regionals in the P Hughes era so far, which is weird to say given some of the losses we've taken this year. Yeah, but we've also seen some wild midweek games this year across the country. Like LSU, they're number one in the country. They just lost to Nickel State last night. Mm-hmm. Like. On their home field. That's pretty crazy. Tennessee just lost to uh like middle Tennessee or East Tennessee, a directional Tennessee school. Directional Tennessee should Tennessee. not be losing to directional Tennessee. No. But that's been happening kind of nationwide. I think a lot of it is it's an issue the K-State's had, but it's not unique to K-State. And it's midweek pitching is really thin. Oh, yeah. Across the board. Because those midweek starters at big schools, they transfer. And they go to small schools where their midweek starter in the past may have just been garbage, but now they have someone that's at least conscious <laughs> in the yeah. midweek starter role. And so talent's getting spread more um, broadly and affected the transfer portal where sometimes it groups together, but a lot of times in the smaller sports, it really evens the playing field. So I, I think some of that is what we're seeing, but I know, been rambling a little bit. Uh, yeah. I guess we can cover this last game 
pretty quick because yeah. not a lot really happened that was good for K-State. No. Um, we struck out 11 times. Cash usually struck out three times. Um, Nick Goodwin and Brendan Jones both left the bases loaded. At one point, we once again stranded 11 on base. We had multiple opportunities to um, get back into the game and really do something. And we just weren't quite able to do it. Um, Dub Gleed of UC Irvine gets uh, um, two home runs. Uh, I, I'm very sad that we allowed a man named Dub Gleed to get two home runs off. His of real name is William, but he doesn't respond to William. His name is Dub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Not a fantastic pitching day for K-State. I'll let you talk about that. But hitting... Person of the man of the hour is probably Brady Day. He went three for four. Um, the good one, two for five as well. Um, Carson Quick, he came in and uh, um, got a nice hit at one point, one for two. Um, but still a, a bit of a frustrating day um, overall. Not a backbreaking day whatsoever, but this is if you've been able to finish off the road sweep, that would have been fantastic. But winning the series in the first two games was huge because we know that our pitching depth is just not it as of right now. Um, But we still secure the series in the first two days. So really, that's a huge positive to draw from this weekend. But you can talk about the pitching a bit and we can then discuss like pitching depth a little bit. Yeah. So the, the starter for this game was Colin Rothermel. He ends up going five, giving up nine hits, six runs, all earned, one walk, five strikeouts, hit one batter. His control, he it's so strange because his curveball is the pitch he has the best control over. Like his fastball command is where it, he just doesn't have it. Like he, he can put a curveball just about anywhere you need it to be. But here's the thing is – if a batter is going to sit on curveball, 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 eventually you, like, you don't have a threat to change speeds. So they're just going to lower their swing, up their launch angle, and then jack a ball out. That's what Doug Glee did twice. <laughs> and even then, just, you know, he only had one walk. He was giving up a lot of advantage counts to the hitters as well whenever he did try to throw a fastball. So, yeah, he only walked one guy, but he was getting into a lot of, you know, 2-1, you know, 2-0, 3-1 counts. That's that's not a recipe for success because OPS drastically goes up every single time you're in one of those advantage counts for a hitter. But other than 3-0, because as Connor and I both know from different coaches, 3-0 means no. But yeah. <laughs> Best baseball advice I ever got from probably the worst coach I've ever had in any sport. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, it, Rothermel, I, I want Crichton Rothermel back. I really do. Cause that was dominant. I don't really blame Rothermel for the KU loss because again, or not the KU loss, but the, the runs he gave up there because he was one ground ball away from basically allowing nothing. Not even that. It was just a, a throw. Yeah. That was it. The, the ground ball was delivered. It was the throw. Yeah. But you are right. Yeah. A- after Rothermel, Cole Weissenbaker entered the game. He performed all right. Uh, two hits, one earned run, one walk, no strikeouts, five batters faced. Like, that's not great, but fine. Uh, Mason Buss enters the game, gets two innings, two hits, no earned runs, two strikeouts. But at that point, they were already up like seven. So or they were up six, I should say. But Mason Buss performed well. I, I'm In terms of pitching depth, there's only – at this point in the season, there are only two and a half arms that I trust coming out of the bullpen – and that sucks because every weekend series is three games and it is a god awful idea to have the same arms rotating over and over again, especially when your starters can only go, you know, five or six. I trust Tyson neighbors. I trust Kyler Haney and half of me trusts Mason bus. Yeah. Depends on what Mason bus you're going to get. Um, Cause early in the year he was awesome. Yeah. Um, but as 
teams are trying to figure out his stuff. He's been up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had he still had some really good outings, um, but he's had a few that have not been very good. Um, which again, every pitcher has them. But we really, really, really need a, a number three starter right now. Um, we need neither Jackson Wentworth to figure out um, consistent command, or we need Colin Rathamel to do the same. It, one of them needs to figure that out. Frankly, I think Wentworth, there is a shot for success with him being a long relief guy mm-hmm. on weekends, similar to what Carson Seymour did back in, I think, 2021, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering correctly. So I think that there is opportunity there um, for Wentworth to end the season strong because coming back from Tommy John is really, really hard. Yeah, it um, sucks. So I it, I don't want to dump on Jackson Wentworth because you know there's a lot more going into it than just like pitch no good. Like <laughs> he like, like getting command back and control back that's that's tough uh, coming off of Tommy John. But we do we really need somebody to step up out of the bullpen because we've seen at this point pretty much everyone have an outing that makes you anxious. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, with maybe the exception of Haney and neighbors. And both of them have had outings still where you're like, raise your eyebrows, but not like to the point of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Weisenbaker has been all right this year, but we've seen him fewer and fewer times. Um, and he's had a few outings where he's just not really been great. Um, the pitching death is concerning right now because that is the thing that that's like probably the biggest flaw that you just cannot have. Yeah. If you're going to make it to regionals after the conference tournament, because we have seen in the past some very solid K state teams just in the past few years get bounced from the big 12 tournament because we just didn't have enough pitching depth. Like the 2021 run where we were one game away from playing for the big 12 championship, but we just, literally just ran out of pitchers nobody was left in that bullpen that could throw strikes consistently and when they were throwing strikes they were getting bombed like similar ish issue last year not quite as bad um but this year i i do really worry about like falling into the uh elimination bracket in arlington and just running out of arms pretty quickly we're gonna need uh Borma, Fajardo, Haney, neighbors. Like we need those those guys to be ready. And some of that is going to be them having really good regular season outings, but not going like seven or eight innings or even six in some cases. Like keeping them under a hundred pitches so that way their arms aren't destroyed by the time we get to postseason. Cause we're in a position to possibly make it into the NCAA tournament. So we're gonna need a few guys to start to step up. And I think that we have those guys on the team. Like this isn't like a referendum saying we need to like kick all the pitchers off the team. I think, well, I think that would be dumb first of all, (laughs) because we need pitchers, but there are still people on this team that have showcased um, talent. Rothermel, his curveball is fantastic. Uh, We know, we know that a lot of these guys have stuff that they can throw. They're just doing on a consistent basis. And some of that again comes with more experience and, so getting more innings, getting more pitches thrown in live action, I think that's only going to help them at this point. Yeah. I, I'm looking through our, our roster to look at our, our pitching depth. Uh, Dalton Beck, but these are all the lefties. Dalton Beck, I think we've seen once this year. Cole Weisenbaker is intriguing, but I'm not sure he's there yet. Owen Borama. Uh, Trey Robertson, we've seen once as a transfer from a senior transfer from MU. Uh, Clayton Broder, I didn't even know he was on the team. No disrespect. Uh <laughs> Uh, Mason Buss, we're on a righties. Mason Buss, yeah, I, I trust him. Tyson Neighbors, duh. Uh, Shea Hardis, tough. He uh, is he is situationally effective. I think Shea Hardis. Yeah. Um, he definitely has had outings where he's not been great. Granted, there was absolutely no reason for him to be in against either Air Force or KU, given yeah. altitude and wind. Because he is a pure power pitcher. He's just going to throw strikes past you and dare you to hit them. <laughs> Giving opposing batters that shot 
uh, in the third KU game was not a One great of the managerial dumbest decision. decisions I've heard. It no, it's it's stupid. That was a dumb decision. <laughs> yeah, not not a good choice, I think. And that's no fault of Shea Hart as he's just going out there pitching when he's told to. Um, he he still had a few um, issues at times, but he still has the potential to really be a solid relief arm. Um, but he just needs to be put in the right situation, I think. And honestly, I could see him being a good Big 12 tournament arm mm-hmm. because that is a really big park with a really big outfield. I truly think that he could potentially have a good outing or two in the Big 12 tournament, depending on how long we stay out there. Because yeah. um, he he is built for playing in a really big park against college bats. So that that is something where I think he could surprise people. But it remains busy. Yeah. And then Tyrol, inconsistent. Jack Wentworth, he just needs to find his control. Uh, Colin Rothermel got kicked up to the starting rotation. Corso's inconsistent. Andrew Evans, we haven't seen this year, and he's a true freshman. Herman Fajardo's starting. Kyler Haney, he's good. Griffin Hassel's hurt. Corey Cater, we saw once. I will. I really want to see him again. I really want to. He was good Whatever when we saw him. Whatever happened to Corey Cater? Yeah, he, he we. Maybe so, because we saw him pretty early on in the year, and he has just fallen off the face of the earth, which is a shame, because I think that he could uh, maybe add something to um, the pitching staff right now. But I don't know. Who are, who are we to assume, I guess? Uh, and I've also, I, looking at other pitchers, I mean, yeah, Cater's an intriguing guy. He's a senior um, he's had two outings this year. He is not allowed to run. Um, so where's he been? Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with Corey and, Cater? And for the sake of completeness, the last two pitchers are Kevin Minnell, redshirt freshman, and Jared Henry, who we saw once in a blowout against St. Thomas. There's not a lot of proven depth there. And I think that is something that has the potential to cost us in the long run. You can argue it's costing us now. Yeah. I, I think that there has been a few games that we could have won uh, with some more consistent pitching. Um, tough to say, but um, that's also about any baseball team. True. So unfortunate. Um, next year needs to be big in the portal, I think, or uh, transfer arms. Yeah. We really, really need um experienced pitching talent because we're gonna lose Borma. Uh we'll have Fajardo, but I don't know if Fajardo is going to be a number one ace guy. I think he in a, honestly in a perfect world for me Fajardo is just a deadly reliever. Like I I really liked Fajardo's role last year at the tail end of the year where he was pitching like three ish innings. Um, I still really like him as a starter, but I would love to see him as a reliever. Because to me, if Herman Fajardo is a reliever, that means our starters are really good. So I, I'd love to see that reality occur. I don't think it will. And as again, not a diss at Herman Fajardo. I just think he his stuff is awesome. And I think that he fits the mold of a reliever. Maybe it's because he throws kind of side army and it reminds <laughs> me of Eric Torres. So can't fully explain it, but I would love to see him um be a bullpen guy uh, yeah. in the future. But who's to say? Yeah. Uh the last game actually didn't happen. It was a canceled game up against UC Riverside. Uh the reason wasn't given. If I had to speculate it's because UC Riverside even playing them, we could have beaten them like 85 to nothing, it would have lowered our RPI. So we just said it's not worth it. So cancel the game. Yeah. And I, I really, really hate that that's a thing because I feel bad for those teams because they're mm-hmm. the teams that need the game a lot more than we do. Like, even if they get blown out, like it gives them like the chance to like play some young arms and like get some different faces in the lineup. Like, so really sucks that uh, they, uh, they canceled the game. But I get why they did, because we are at a point where we can't risk uh, hurting our RPI. Because we're just in that position where you have to get every little bump you can get. And that involves just not playing UC Riverside. Their RPI was like in the 260s 
I think pretty mm-hmm. bad. They were like seven and 28 this year. Suboptimal, I think, but he's, I don't know. Um, I imagine we would have won that game, but it's a road game for the bad cats and a midweek road game at that. Uh, and we've been, um, our, our, our midweek pitching has been in flux is how I'll put it. But that is the kindest way to put it. Um, the, it would have been nice to see another game, I guess. But I get why it didn't. I think they cited officially um, travel complications. Uh-huh. I don't believe them. But I don't either. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, next series up against number 14 in the country, Texas Tech in Toynton. Need to take one of those games. Probably need to take two. Because as it stands right now, you mentioned we're 65th in RPI. And uh, in one projection that was sent to us, we're in the first five out of the the regional tournament or the NCAA tournament. I can't take us being the first team out again. I can't do it. Not again. For the record, um, we were not the first team out in baseball. That was volleyball. Oh, okay. Which also hurt because that was like at the exact same time as the Cats because I'm pretty sure they played in the spring that year maybe but um, Texas Tech and K-State as things stand um, in RPI they are uh, sandwiched right next to each other 65th and 66th Um, although I have seen a few publications using um, something called RPI Plus which is allegedly more accurate to what the NCAA tournament um, uses and we are allegedly higher ranked in that um, ace you stall while I look it up okay so uh, the thing about the Texas Tech series is they're probably looking for revenge from the big 12 tournament this last year where we ended up bouncing them in the big 12 tournament and also they have a player named cash and the goblin the goblin the gambling gauchos also have a meme where they uh, it's the picture of Johnny Cash, but it's the guy named Cash who's photoshopped onto the guy's head. So honestly, it may be a legendary battle between us and Gambling Gauchos for baseball memes, since we're the the two podcasts on planet Earth that care about Big Twelve baseball and constantly bring it up. <laughs> but for I really do think that this series is massive, like even regardless of how close we are in RPI. Having a number 14 AP, I think it is, win on your resume, that is huge for people who may not, you know, I'm not saying that they exist, but I am saying that they probably exist, people who don't pay as much attention to, to RPI. So I, in my opinion, the Batcats need to pick up at least one of these games. They can't afford a home sweep. They can't, under no circumstances. I I truly think that an RPA or not an RPA, I'm still looking. A <laughs> uh, a home sweep. I I think that that maybe sinks the ship um for good. Um I I really don't think that we can afford I I'll put it like this. If we get swept at home, um I think we'd probably need to borderline win out. Yeah. Um which, which I don't we, think you're going to do up against at Oklahoma State, especially. Yeah, at Oklahoma State, I think that's a near impossible um, task. But uh, home against TCU would be just as difficult, I think. Yeah. And also, I can find no evidence of the existence of RPI Plus, so I think maybe I just made it up. But <laughs> <laughs> I made it up. I lied. Yeah, so maybe it's just not real. Maybe it's just not a thing. Um, I could have sworn that it was. Um, but seems that it was not. Um, the uh, um, what who was it? College Baseball Nation or something like that? I think it was College Baseball Nation. I can look it up real fast. Uh, they, they did have us ranked as a uh, number fifty in their top fifty. That's the first time I've seen us ranked in any poll in a really long time. Yeah, it's like, College Baseball Nation. Probably like 2013 when we won the Big 12 championship was the last time that we were ranked anywhere by anyone. And you know what? I kind of like that. It feels nice to be ranked. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that. Yeah, so um, 
pleased to see it. I'd like to see us continue to um, climb upwards. Um, but TBD on if that will actually work. Um, okay, I may have found something with RPI Plus. Yep, yeah, on College Baseball Nation, actually. So shout out to College Baseball Nation. Yo. Um, <laughs> RPI Plus. Um, I have found their ranking. We are 57th in RPI Plus. Texas Tech is 54. So still very close together. Um, Oklahoma is 61st. Uh, so a little bit lower. Um, I'll explain RPI Plus a little bit. By explain it, I mean I'm going to read their summary of it. RPI I appreciate Plus. the honesty. I, I have no reason to, to lie about this. <laughs> RPI Plus is a modified RPI statistic that factors in conference RPI, conference record, and other factors. RPI Plus has been more accurate than RPI in picking at-large teams in each of the last four years. And in 2021, RPI Plus correctly picked the top eight seeds and 14 of the 16 regional hosts. Um, and it becomes more accurate as the season progresses. Um, and one additional note, the weights for each component of RPI Plus were trained using the NCAA Selection Committee's picks from 2018, 2019, and 2022. This was formerly known as the CBR. Okay. Okay. So, allegedly, this is supposed to be very accurate. And I, I have chosen to believe them. Because it puts us in the tournament. Um, yeah. I think in this scenario, we might just barely sneak in as like one of the very last teams. Yeah. Um, it would really depend on the uh, mid and low majors on who wins their auto bids. We would need like no upsets um, in any of those uh, um, conferences. Like we need Indiana state to win the Missouri Valley because they're like 15th somehow in RBI mm-hmm. plus. Um, and then we're going to need a uh, coastal Carolina probably to win the Sun Belt. Although Southern yeah, they're going, in. they're, they're probably going to win the Sun Belt. Almost certainly. Uh, we need Dallas Baptist to win Conference USA because they're 16th. And I don't think anyone else in Conference USA. Oh, UTSA is 38. So, but we do need uh, some, uh, um, some tactical power. victories. For the record, UC Irvine is 60th in RPI Plus. So they're four spots behind us. But so that's a little bit about RPI Plus, where the Backcats stand in RPI Plus. Um, I'm going to choose to continue to use this because it is better for us and yeah. more, con- <laughs> and more convenient um, for the back hats to the regionals narrative than the other options. So I'm just going to pretend that this is the actual poll. Um, so 57, nice spot to be in. Um, a little better than I anticipated. I expected it to be close and we are still close, but we're a little bit higher than I thought. Mm-hmm. If we can take two against Texas Tech, I imagine that we probably slide up into the low 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be a really nice spot to be um, as things stand because uh, we, we need to just continue to stack quality victories because Tech is 14th in the AP poll which is also wild that the analytics have them so much lower than that they're yeah. still 14th yeah but yeah that is the Batcats news now we can get into the wacky segment of the week in celebration of the draft that we will be at when this comes out We decided that we're each going to make our own number one overall selections. And that question, and that comes from, if you had to do a K-State all-time players draft for football, who would be your number one overall pick? And we can't pick the select the same player because, obviously. So this this is actually a big decision. Would you like the first overall pick or would you like me to have it? Uh, You can have it. Okay. With, with the first overall pick in the all-time K-State players Aggieville Alley Cats draft, the me <laughs> select L. Roberson, quarterback. And this one was quite the, the debate that I had between myself. It was between three quarterbacks. It was between Michael Bishop, Josh Freeman, and L. Roberson. And the main reason why I chose L. Roberson was because I actually took a look at the the stat. I took a look at the all time stat leaders, and you know, pe- at least me, I sort of forget that L. Roberson is ahead of a lot more people than you think he is on like passing yards, rushing touchdowns, rushing yards. He, he's a lot farther along than people really give him credit for. I think, and 
you know, Connor Connor t- told me why before the episode. He's kind of sandwiched between two really good quarterbacks there. But yeah, for me, the number one overall pick is for me, it's gotta be L. Roberson. Yeah. And yeah, he gets stuck between, I think, Colin Klein, who's like this like K-State icon and won a Big 12 championship. Of course, L. Roberson wins one too. But then Michael Bishop is like kind of the guy, I think, for um, Snyder 1.0, just because he was so dynamic at the time. I was not allowed to watch him, but I have seen um, some full game replays. And he was just better than everybody he was on the field against. (laughs) Uh, he, he was just incredible um, as a, a quarterback in pretty much every measurable way he changed the game. And uh, so he's remembered fondly for that. And also just for the 98 season being such a spectacular year. Um, but so L Roberson, while definitely not being forgotten, I do think kind of gets shoved into third a lot because of Colin Klein's like incredible Heisman run and Michael Bishop doing the same, and Al Roberson kind of never really got to that conversation. But uh, statistically, he he's pretty far up there. Yeah. Um, he's actually ahead of Colin Klein uh, in uh, passing uh, for a career, which I should have expected, I guess. But yeah, people, um, like people just sort of forget about it. Like people forget about L yeah. L Roberson, or like when you mention him, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's like one of the all time greats," and then they immediately shift the conversation to. Michael Bishop, Colin Klein, which like, I I feel like anyone from like, Michael Bishop's not a bad answer to me. Josh Freeman's not a bad answer to me. Colin Klein, I could be convinced, at least in terms of quarterbacks. But anyway, with your first overall pick, who are you taking? I'm taking Darren Sproles. Uh, It's hard to not take Darren Sproles because in rushing yards, he's just so far ahead of everyone. Yeah, he had a higher number of carries. He had like 815. Always the case say he was nearly at 5,000 yards, but he is 2,000 yards ahead of uh, second of second place John Huber on the 2022 media guide. I know Deuce Vaughn's a little closer um, because these aren't updated stats. I don't remember what his final numbers were, um, but he... Uh, um, was incredible in a real draft. I probably wouldn't take a running back number one overall um, because I have thoughts on the first round running backs and that I don't like them. But yeah, I, uh, I I really like Darren Sproles in terms of a K-State vacuum draft pick because he's just incredible. Um, he has the uh, two um, biggest rushing games uh, in K-State history with uh, 273 and then 292 um it's arguably the most iconic play in k-state yeah. history with the one screen that would be a fun off-season episode is a uh, most iconic k-state plays like top 10 or something like that i know that that's been done a lot um by the k-state community but we have not done ours mm-hmm. so and be nice to do like a younger generation one i guess yeah um let's hear zoomers yeah that's another reason that Roberson's forgotten a lot by people our age is like people hear about Michael Bishop. So how great that team was. Colin Klein is like kind of the case QB that I grew up with. Like that was like my quarterback, I guess for all intents and purposes. Like he was like the guy in my formative years, but Darren Sproles was a little before my time. So I don't really remember him playing at all, but you hear about him enough. And I remembered seeing a few NFL games and I was like, Oh, he went to K state. You know, that's pretty cool. He was still really good there, but Darren Sproles is my pick. Um, but it's hard to go wrong. I think with a lot of people, Michael Bishop, Colin Klein, um, Tyler Lockett, Kevin Lockett. Um, if you want to go defense, the, Jamie Mendez and Jamie Mendez, Chris Canty, Ty Zimmerman. Um, yeah, Ty Zerman is up there. Josh Buell, um, Darren Howard. I'm missing a ton of names there, but there's a lot of really good options um, that you could go with for number one overall. So who would yours be? Yeah, we're actually, by the time this episode's come out, we're, we've already put a, a question on Twitter about this. So we will have seen it eventually. But you have any final thoughts, Connor? 
Um, looking forward to the draft. Um, hope that we can see Julius and Felix go round one. If we could see just one of them go, that'd be awesome too. If we and, see both of them, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to be able to drive home. I'll have to sleep on your couch. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I hope that we're able to see one of them. I'm get drafted at the very least. Now, there seems to be a lot of projections with Felix kind of going in that late first, early second um, area. Brent's is more all over the place. It feels like with Mox, uh, I don't think anybody's sure what to make of him right now. Because he's like so athletic, but people are like, I don't know, should we take him round one or should we wait? So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I'm really looking forward to that. Hope the Backcats can take the series against Tech. I agree. So thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact or reach out to the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're aggievillealleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ASC Edwards at 00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.